Hello and welcome to another episode of Cracking Addiction with Philippe and Naren and Fergal Armstrong. In the episode of Cracking Addiction today, we're going to be talking about relapse prevention strategies for methamphetamine usage. And Fergal, I thought a good place to start this episode would be just to reiterate some of those harm reduction strategies we were talking about in the previous episode, because I think the hallmark of relapse prevention is probably harm reduction. Wouldn't you agree? Like we do want to make sure if our patients relapse or lapse that they're not going to place themselves at increased harms from, from uh, usage of methamphetamines. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I think we, it's important to understand that methamphetamine uh, relapse prevention is necessary because it's not just a case of detoxing off methamphetamine. You've got this prolonged period of craving and dysphoria that can last up to a year before you're, before you learn to appreciate joy again. During this time, you are at a high risk. You're very vulnerable to temptation. You're very vulnerable to stress. And therefore, you're very vulnerable to the risk of relapse. So there are, there are two key things. First of all, there's, there's the avoidance of the comorbidity associated with relapse. And then there's, I suppose, the issue of trying to avoid a lapse becoming a relapse. And the avoidance of comorbidity, I think, is the realm of harm reduction. And so there's a couple of things to say about that. Firstly, um, if you're uh, in a nightclub and you're dancing away, you don't want to be uh, developing hyponatremia. So... A rule of thumb, I would say, is if you're going to, if you're dancing in a hot space, then uh, 500 mils, half a liter of water an hour. If you're not dancing, then no more than a quarter of a liter of water an hour. If you're taking stimulants, and that includes ecstasy. The next thing to say is always carry condoms with you because methamphetamine use uh, is a risk factor for risky sexual practices. Uh, always try and rotate veins and look after your veins. Give your body a rest, get some sleep sometimes, try and eat properly. Um, and always try and have access to safe, safe needles, safe injecting paraphernalia, and don't share them. When you're intoxicated with methamphetamine, your, your ability to say no is very much diminished. And you're, you then start engaging in these risky practices. So again, you know, uh, without wanting to labor the point about how valuable NSPs are, Needle syringe programs, I think, do play a key role in relapse prevention, and sorry, in, in harm minimization work in methamphetamine use disorder. And I think that's a really great summary of some of the simple harm reduction strategies that that we can use in that in that um, phase of methamphetamine usage where we're trying to prevent um, relapse prevention. And I guess to try and segue from that, I think. Uh, the hallmark of a lot of relapse prevention strategies for methamphetamine use are going to be psychosocial interventions. And these are really key in trying to um, address the, the reasons why people use methamphetamines and trying to avoid some of those triggers that will trigger usage for, for methamphetamines. There are a number of psychosocial interventions that are currently used, some with more evidence than, than others. But Fergal, could you expand a bit on some of those common psychosocial interventions that we sometimes use for, for methamphetamine uh, relapse prevention? Yeah, so I think the programs that follow the matrix structure have got really, I think, the best evidence for efficacy in relapse prevention. So the question then is, well, what is in the matrix? What are the elements that make up a good matrix program? And I think uh, 
the, major, the, the, the elements that are necessary include treatment of the individual and treatment of friends and family, and also psychoeducation and problem solving. And if we look at um, treatment of the individual, we need to understand that the individual really goes through a cycle of change. So within that intensive one-on-one counseling, we've got uh, motivational interviewing, we've got cognitive behavioral therapy, and we've got contingency management. Then also as part of individual treatment, there is also a significant element of group work. So, uh, you know, there is, there is a... There is a magic, there is a synergy in group work, which I think makes it so valuable in, in a wide range of, of uh, relapse prevention modalities. And then within Matrix, we also have uh, support for friends and families, and we also have a long-term problem-solving approach to, life, to, to, to getting on with life over 12 months. So that kind of structure has been proven to work in methamphetamine. But uh, if we go into some of the uh, the nitty gritty around the, the, the intensive one on one counselling, you know, I've mentioned things like uh, motivational interviewing, CBT, and contingency management. What's your understanding about these psychological interventions? Those psychological interventions are, are huge, especially in, in terms of um, relapse prevention for methamphetamine use. The thing that is, I think, getting a bit more I guess, steam behind it currently is probably contingency management in particular, in, especially in terms of methamphetamine use as well. And I think at the time of recording, there is going to be a, a trial or a study on contingency management, particularly on methamphetamine use. And basically, contingency management is kind of essentially a, a reward pathway kind of a program where patients are, are rewarded either by money, but usually by vouchers or, or various different reward systems for not using methamphetamines. And the evidence is is growing and is already there that this is a very effective technique. Mm-hmm. With regards to the other strategies that you mentioned, cognitive behavioral therapy has a myriad of uses, both for um, psychiatric and psychological conditions such as depression and anxiety, but also for substance use as well. And trying to understand motivators and drivers for behavior is is a main um, trigger in trying to prevent a lapse or a relapse. And finally, I guess with motivational interviewing, I, I certainly use motivational interviewing in my practice, and I'm sure you do as well, Fergal, where you try and create a discrepancy within the patient between where they see themselves and where they want to go to where they are now and help guide the patient. And the patient is the one that comes up with the solutions in motivational interviewing, but help the patient try and see the discrepancy and elicit what the patient feels would be the the best way of going forward. And as we know, if an idea or plan comes from the patient or consumer, it's more likely to be actioned and completed. So I guess in summary, all the measures and methods you've mentioned are valuable in preventing um, relapse of methamphetamine usage and are really important that us as clinicians um, and and all health practitioners are aware of and can readily direct our patients to use. So, yeah, I can't stress enough the importance of psychosocial interventions in, in relapse prevention. But I guess going back to another aspect, what's your view on peer support programs, Virgil, and, and their role in, in aiding relapse prevention? I think there's a magic, the synergy that exists in peer support groups. I think mutual support, 
uh, allows the allows um, uh, personal emotional connection with people, and we know that connection with people, having friends, uh, not feeling lonely in and of itself reduces substance use disorder or reduces substance use in those who are substance use disordered. And we know that the, the opposite is true, that, that loneliness increases the substance use in people who are substance use disordered. I think, it'll, I think it allows people to develop resilience. I mean, if we talk about what, what gives people resilience, there are four key things that, give, that, 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 that permit the teaching of resilience. One is the achievement of mastery. Two is the vicarious mastery. Three is exhortation. And four is emotional regulation. So if we look at achieving mastery, so if you're telling someone to remain abstinent, that abstinent, that is a skill. Now that might be difficult for someone to start off with. And again, that's where motivational interviewing comes on. But if you look in peer support groups, you've got vicarious mastery and you've got exhortation. You're in a group potentially full of other people who now have achieved after abstinence. And so you've got the effect of, well, if they can do it, why cannot I do it? And then you've also got exhortation. You've got the encouragement from those who have achieved mastery, who have achieved abstinence to you, which is an additional level of support for you to then go and achieve mastery. And then also within, within that framework, it is important to understand the role of emotional regulation. And peer support actually does play a part in emotional regulation if, if it's properly used I mean, I, I think a lot of people think that peer support groups are basically just uh, bitch, mutual bitching sessions about how awful life is. That can be, you know, th there are peer support groups that are like that, but a well-run, well-moderated peer support group is well-structured, which follows uh, a well-proven uh, psychological therapies, proven psychological uh, structure to achieve benefit. So the more structured the program is, I think the better the outcome is. So... My, my opinion of peer support group is that there's a lot of evidence for it in alcohol. And I'm looking forward to seeing the evidence for it in other modalities, but I'm pretty sure that it's an, that, uh, it's an essential part of any kind of relapse prevention, not least for the reasons that I've mentioned. And I guess now moving away from some of those psychosocial interventions to potential pharmacotherapy options for, for relapse prevention of methamphetamines, I guess all of us are looking for a magic bullet <laughs> in terms of uh, what what drug or tablet can can I give someone to prevent them using methamphetamines? And uh, spoiler alert, there, there is no magic tablet or bullet just yet. Maybe in the future, but as as of the time of the airing of this episode, I don't want to date us too much. But as as of the timing of the dating of this episode, there is no magic bullet. But there are some drugs that have been tested or trialed in the past. Uh, and Fergal, could you? Give us a bit of a summary of some of the latest thinkings on, on some of the drugs that have previously been used in, in aiding um, relapse prevention um, from methamphetamine. Yeah, the first thing to say is there is no drug that has been proven to work. Um, now, again, I don't want to date this, but at the, at the time of recording, I am aware that there is a trial being held where they're looking at um, Lizdex amphetamine replacement therapy, but I, we don't yet know the results of that trial, to my knowledge. Though. In the absence of any groundbreaking positive results from that particular trial, you know there, there is limited evidence of limited benefit in a limited number of individuals 
for a limited number of drugs. And I think the key word there is limited. And um, the, I use the mnemonic miles and miles of bloody nothing. Because you can read miles and miles of bloody of, of papers and, and come to bloody nothing. You know, there is no there's no actual hard evidence for this. So MMBN, miles and miles of bloody nothing. So there is a limited evidence that methyl, uh, the methamphetamine replacement therapy uh, with it doesn't really work, but we're waiting for that trial. The other M is methylphenidate. Now, methylphenidate is a stimulant that is normally used to treat ADHD. And certainly in people with known ADHD, and as you know, people with ADHD will tend to misuse methamphetamine. So in people with ADHD, there is some evidence that actually giving those patients methylphenidate uh, stimulants will also reduce their methamphetamine use. There is also, however, interestingly, evidence to suggest that people without ADHD who are misusing methamphetamine can actually respond to methylphenidate as well. So that's the first M. Then we have metazapine, good old metazapine. It's a very, it's a sedative uh, agent. Uh, I think it helps people sleep. Uh, and I think in the same way that we use diazepam in the short term to, to calm the agitation and the craving down in people in, in a detox setting, I think metazapine does it in, the, in a community setting. Um, the thing about metazapine, though, is that it's, it's, a, it's got a biphasic action, so at low to moderate doses, it's a sedative antidepressant, but at very high doses, it becomes very stimulating. So when people are, people are looking to achieve a sedative effect and, you know, 15 to 30 milligrams of metazapine is not working, then they might be tempted to go to higher doses. And of course, that's when you start getting into the activating effects of metazapine. So, you know, got to be careful there. Then bupropion, Zyban. Zyban is an NDRI. So it's a, it's a noradrenaline dopamine reuptake inhibitor. It's a licensed medication for. Uh, nicotine use disorder. Uh, in the States, it's uh, also got a license for the management of depression. And there is some evidence that it uh, can help with craving in uh, methamphetamine use disorder. But again, it's very much off license. And I've always wondered, why is Zyban licensed for nicotine use disorder only in Australia, where it's got both licenses in the States? What's, what's, what's going on there? So that's the B for bloody and then nothing, naltrexone. So naltrexone is, is a commonly used anti-craving medication for alcohol use disorder. And there's some evidence that it can be used for uh, methamphetamine use disorder. There's also some evidence for the combination of bupropion and naltrexone together. Uh, but again, overall, limited amounts of evidence for limited effects in a limited number of people for a limited range of drugs. What, what's your thoughts on that? I agree with everything you've just said in the sense that there is no magic bullet. Some people will benefit from some of these drugs. We cannot predict who will benefit from, from what. And, um, pre, um, again, not to try and date this too much, but unless there's some dramatic finding from the Lima study, um, I think the, the current, um, playing field we have is, is what it is right now. And I guess this just highlights the, the real importance of those psychosocial interventions mm. in relapse prevention. Yeah. We've talked a lot about community and getting a community feel around um, patients with, with substance use disorders because substance use disorder can be a very isolating experience. And also giving the patients psychoeducation about 
their thought processes and their triggers and using those strategies are the ones that currently have the most evidence that will try and prevent a relapse. So I think this just highlights the fact that we really do need to focus on those psychosocial interventions to prevent relapse for our patients who are using methamphetamine. Yeah. And I think that that's probably the big takeaway message. And I think for me also, we, we, we also need to explain that problem solving is, is a really key thing. We haven't really spoken about that much. But you know, the, one of the characteristic hallmarks of any substance use disorder is the total, total life chaos. And if, you, if you're going to expect people to return back from that chaos into some form of meaningful existence, you have to teach them how to problem solve. And you also have to understand that that is not necessarily best done by doctors. And I think this is why we do need a multidisciplinary team. And the more people you've got in the team, the better. But, you know, you need social work involvement. You need psychological involvement. You need AOD counseling. People need to learn how to solve problems and to deal with setbacks without recourse to their previous coping mechanisms, which included substance use. Indeed. And I think that's a really good place to end this episode of Cracking Addiction, where we've talked about relapse prevention for methamphetamines. We've talked again about harm reduction strategies. We've talked about the psychosocial interventions that we can use for relapse prevention. And we've also talked about some of the potential pharmacological options for uh, methamphetamine relapse prevention. Thanks for your attention on this episode and bye for now.